G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Podcast 191. Matt Rowley, your host here. I've got a couple of our regulars. Uh, Hugh, mate, how are you? I'm great. Yeah, another Wallaby win. Who would have thought? You know, and um, well, actually, I, I thought we all tipped it, but yeah, it was, it's still still good to be here and facing a, a you know pretty decent quarterfinal draw. You don't want to look too closely. You don't want to look the gift horse in the mouth, but um, mm. yeah, sitting sitting quite nicely, you'd say. Yeah, we'll talk about that more in just a minute, because also with me, I've got Jamie Miller from uh, the States. Mate, how are you? I'm very good, man. I'm very good. Uh, very happy again. This is this is sort of a running theme, you know, happy, optimistic <laughs> podcast rather than the usual sort of deeply introspective, hand-wringing ones. It's, it's good. I like the change. Well, And then they suddenly stop, you mean. I think our regular listeners will know that there, <laughs> there tends to be blackouts when things go badly wrong. Um, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. That doesn't sound that doesn't sound true at all, actually. <laughs> Not that we're bad losers. Well, look, you know, you, you, we're talking about how happy we are. I must admit, it hit me Saturday night. I had a barbecue, had a few people over, had a few too many rums and red wines, actually. Not that they were mixed, but um, sort of consecutive. But it really hit me how important this match was going to be. Uh, and uh, geez, it shaped up that way, didn't it? It was a it was a titanic clash. Um, all there were were penalty goals. But it, you wouldn't have said it was a shithouse match, though, would you, though, Hugh? It was uh, head on the edge of the seats. Um, I, I was sitting there at half time, and you know, it was a pretty close game, and I expected it to be close, so I was pretty comfortable with how we were travelling and thought we were working our way into the game. But um, then, obviously, you know, a few things transpired in that second half, and, and um, you know, we found ourselves right up against it. And by the end, when we got out of it all, you know, I was so amped up, it was sort of. 4.35 in the morning and, you know, I was lying in bed wide awake. I, I kind of felt like I needed to go for a run or a swim or something and, and just sort of work off the energy because there was no way I was getting to sleep after that. No, it was amazing, wasn't it? Um, I, I must admit those uh, rums and red wine did mean that I had to watch it, uh, the recording. Um, but I did think uh, <laughs> earlier. So that's, morning... that's what you say. So you, you told me that so you were just getting a bit of R and R. Is that is that what you meant? Just r- you were tired. You were tired and tired and emotional. I was tired and emotional. <laughs> but um, th- I was just thinking that, like you know, for those of you guys, I salute you who were up at that time in the morning. I don't know how you would have been back to sleep. Um, Jamie, you were watching it, um, you know, clear eyed. How did it work out like this? How did it turn it into such an arm wrestle? Um, I think. Wales came out of the blocks with a really effective press defence, um, but we shouldn't give them all the credit. We then failed to respond to that. We really, I don't think we had five phases of play in the whole of the first half. Um, and then at half time, Checker obviously told them that this was going to basically be knockout rugby and we should try to keep it down their end the whole time. And uh, we got the result. I'm just not sure if we got it by doing the right strategy by executing the right strategy. Um, I, I really think we should have stuck to our guns and tried to go through the phases because as the last 20 minutes, the last 10 minutes showed when we did actually go through the phases and did get our rhythm on and get our systems going, we found a lot of space. So Hugh, uh, what do you reckon? I mean, was our attack that bad or were the Welsh that good at disrupting us? I mean, they had a few different tactics in there, didn't they? 
Oh, yeah, but our attack was bad. It was a real step back from last week. Bernard Foley, you know, it was basic catch and pass we were screwing up. You know, it was passes behind the man, you know, to no one at times, you know, over the over people's heads. You know, it, it was really ugly stuff. And I think we lacked a bit of patience in that first half. We just needed to sort of work through the phases. You're right, Jamie, we never really got, you know, six, seven, eight phases strung together. And, and, and we just looked to push that pass or go wide a bit too early. And I, I felt like we need to just keep it tighter and attack those fringes. I would have loved to have seen Will Guinea get that running game going. That's that's what I think we kind of missed a little bit that in, in that game. And the Irish was I'm sorry, the Welsh were standing back and and um, attacking at that sort of third or fourth channel where, where our blokes were hitting up and there was a little bit of space on the inside there. So um going forward I think that's something we, we might need a bit more of. But um, look the Welsh there's no doubt the Welsh was were defending effectively. I mean um, very accurate, very physical. I mean look, we didn't score a try all game even in those last sort of ten minutes when we were pressing hard. So, you know, a lot of credit to them as well because um, for everything that's been said about our defence, I mean really theirs was theirs was theirs was equally good. Yeah, well I mean at the end of the day we actually we we held them up three times over the line. Um, it didn't all exactly come from you know, fantastically constructed play. But, um, yeah, we, they managed to get over the whitewash three times. We just managed to, to hold them up. Um, what do you reckon, Jamie? Did You know, did we just have it wrong in, in attack? Um, did Zubers um, have much to do with the way that the game turned out? Yeah, I think you could possibly say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I think... You know, Joubert is the ultimate by-the-book referee. He's he's black-letter law. Um, there's an interesting comment by Brian Smith on the site. Uh, I'll just mention it because I'm a company man. Um, <laughs> about Joubert's lacking feel for the game. I don't think that's true. These South African referees referee way more high-level matches than any of the Australian referees ever will, um, sort of in that domestic level, because they've got many, many tiers, and we have just the NRC. Um but Joubert is by the book, you know. World Rugby gives guidelines on areas to look at. Those will surely come up. You saw us get a penalty for a neck roll. That's one of those areas. And I think if you look at the cards, you see exactly that sort of thing, you know. You look at Alex Cuthbert's knock-on, really not very material to what was going on, but that was always going to be a yellow card. Similarly, you look at what happened with Will Genia, the quick tackle, the, the, the early tackle on the quick tap, that was always going to be a yellow card. We saw Phipps get one against uh, the All Blacks uh, earlier in the year as well for the exact same offence. Um, and then Dean Mum was sort of the third penalty in the row inside our own 10 metres, not even just the 22. I mean, that was always going to be a yellow. Um, it just happens that Mum actually got the ball there, um, which means I think it was a bit harsh. But uh, I think Joubert's decisions were very predictable you know, really by the letter of the law, just uh, that one against mum was misapplied. Um, you it's, worth, it's worth pointing out, Genia's tackle saved a try, I think. I mean, yeah. you watch that and, and, you know, in that instance, it's very hard to stop from, you know, from, from that distance and he's got a head start and there's no one behind Genia, really. If, if yeah. Genia doesn't make that tackle, you know, it's, it's um, probably try time, um, either that phase or the next. So, you know, I, I think Genia was... It, in a, on a bit of a hot eight to nothing there. It's nothing much he could do um, there. So I, I kind of, you know, it's a, it's a straight yellow though every time. Mum was probably a little bit unlucky. He did get the ball, but I think on the replay, you can kind of see one hand, but the other arm is also coming around. And on the previous couple of lineouts, he did kind of jump into the Welsh uh, jumper. So, you know, he's pushing it there and it had come on after a few penalties there. So, look, you know, they, they were... Um, 
they were pretty clear yellows. And actually, I thought we were a bit um, lucky not to pick up a third because um, Israel Falau, when George North was held up, um, Israel Falau hit Alex Cuthbert, I think it was, late after he passed it with a shoulder charge um, and put him on the deck. And Cuthbert stayed down and tried to milk it, um, milk for the yellow. But uh, luckily, the, the, they didn't go upstairs with it because I, I th- think he could have been in trouble otherwise. Well, and I also, yeah. I, th- I think uh, that, um, just going back to the mum penalty, I think it was actually, was it Barry, the um, yeah. referee? Who, yeah, yeah. Who, actually, who actually called it. Um, well, he also made another call that probably leveled out where he called out Falatau for that... Um, Choke clean out, which I thought was a bit soft that that uh, penalty, mm. and it gifted us three points there. So I mean, the only thing I, I if I have a gripe, there was a few little inconsistencies from Jubers. Um, I did think, I mean, how many penalties did Wales give away in that in the first half um, when we were on attack in their half? They eventually got a warning, but I think it must have been the sixth penalty. Um, to be giving him his due, they, they were they tended to be between the twenty-two and a halfway rather than. Um, in the 22 meter uh, space, but anyway, it just seemed that our penalties racked up and the uh, it escalated very quickly. Whereas it seemed to kind of grind on forever with Wales. Um, and then there was a couple. Yeah, there's another one. Sorry, other, you go. Well, there's one other ex- ex- example as well, where, for example, Charteris managed to kind of he most definitely swam up the side of the mall um, to sack one of our sort of driving malls. Um, you know, in, I think it was in the first half, and then Stephen Moore did exactly the same thing and got pinged for it. Um, so there was a couple of things like that that kind of rang yeah. me, I guess. But um, I mean, it, it, it was one of those games where both sides were so willing at the ruck, so yeah. you know, desperate to get in there and get their hands on the ball and flying that, that you were always going to get a lot of penalties. And I think in the end, I mean, Jubert, the one thing I'll say, you know, I think he missed some things and some things that were probably wrong, but I think his mistakes flowed both ways pretty evenly, which is, I think, all you can ask at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, look, um, for, for those of you uh, listening to this, uh, if you haven't been onto the site, I've actually just published uh, a detailed analysis of those last 10 minutes. Um, well, not, not last 10 minutes, sorry. Those, I think there was actually about seven or eight minutes when we were down to 13 men um, and sort of blow by blow what sort of happened. And when you go through and do the whole freeze frame thing, it's quite amazing um, the number of things you do find and uh, pretty much just about everything that I kind of felt that um, maybe Wales could have been penalised for. There's another one that probably we could have as well. And it's amazing as a referee how much you have to let go um, just to let a game, you know, you know, transpire at all. But let's talk about that space for a little while. It was pretty, it was, like I say, quite amazing. It was um, sort of a whole sort of, uh, like I say, almost like a seven to ten minute period where we were at least one man down, if not two. Um, what did you think of it, Jamie? I mean, where does it, everyone's talking about it being some of the best defence ever in a World Cup. Have you got it up there? Yeah, it was heroic. Um, I think would be the best way to put it. I mean, I think we can talk about Joubert all we want, but we were the ones who put ourselves in that position. Um, you know, Ashley Cooper's stepping over the ruck, um, I think was probably legal. He just did it side on and then looked at the referee, um, which was both of those things were pretty silly and, you know, really got us into a big hole. And then mum probably thought, oh, Joubert won't give a second yellow card. But he obviously didn't know anything about Joubert's refereeing style because he, he gives it, as I said before, regardless of context, if it's an offence, it's an offence. Um, and then we were with 13 men and I, at the time, was very nervous. I couldn't believe that we would get out of that without conceding a try, but we just seemed to make so many smart decisions in defence under pressure. 
Um, we saw guys like Bernard Foley, who can be pretty average defenders at times, really coming up with key tackles. That one in the corner on George North was pretty special. Uh, and Ben McCalman decided to come to the party in a big way, you know, basically saying, hey, you forgot about me, all this macaque and, and Homan and Pokemon and all this. Um, you know, remember me, I've got 45 caps or whatever. He was he was epic in that 10 minutes, I thought, really. He was just the sort of guy who could um, play all three back row positions, which we needed because we didn't have any back rowers on the field. So, yeah, what did you guys reckon? Well, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it was um, great defence. Um, you know, the accuracy was tremendous. The physicality was tremendous. Um, and, you know, a lot's been said about it. I think the Welsh, though, I mean... They were dumb, weren't they? I mean, just to keep hitting it up and hitting it up at the teeth. And when you're playing against 13, you don't score through the middle. You score, you know, in the corner and you'd be content with that where, where, the, where there's space. And the amount of times that they either went right, tried to go wide and in the end gave it to Roberts or North running an unders line, to which we kind of said, well, thank you very much. We'll just put you down here and, you know, um, or just hit it up close to the ruck where, you know, it just felt like they were attacking where we were every time as opposed to where we weren't. And, and um, you know, that rush defence in the back line was working well. But, um, geez, you think they'd be kicking themselves, the Welsh. And, you know, that, that push-over try where the ball skewed out the side at the last minute and just, just a few little things. But, um, you know, guys like Kane Douglas and, um, as you say, McCalman and Ashley Cooper and Bernard Foley and um, James Slipper, Greg Holmes, these kind of guys all all put in such a great shift and, and you know, literally a, a flawless kind of defensive display in those minutes, um, which, you know, was – as soon as as soon as Kurt Beal won that turnover, watching at home, I knew we'd won the game because it was one of those situations that reminded me – and you do see it quite often where teams after a yellow card or a period of penalties kind of put it all on red and go for the try. And you know in that instance they're really putting the game on the line and if they don't come away with points – you know, you see it really often that the team's pretty much cactus from that point on. And, and so it was with the Welsh. Once Beal got that penalty, it was kind of... You, you could see the air kind of deflate from out of them, and that was it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, look, uh, I think Clive Woodward talked about it. Um, he, he had that expression in his teacup, um, thinking clearly under pressure. And that was his whole thing about, you know... The teams in the World Cups are one in those last 20 minutes when everyone's fatigued, everyone's stretched to the max, and it's whether you can make the right decisions and execute um, at that point. And in those 10 minutes, which, you know, basically from, um, you know, the 60th to about the 70th minute, um, you know, that's when it all happened. And, and uh, it's just, it's quite startling when you go through in minute detail and you look at all those little micro skills and micro decisions and just about every turn, Australia made the right decision and executed the right skill and Wales did the opposite. Um, you know, whether it was not being able to, I mean, that that scrum was well on its way over the Wallaby try line. So it was either going to be a pushover or a penalty try um, and just the ball just bobbled out the back. Um, even then, though, they could have rescued it, but this, there wasn't clear thinking about how they were going to use the space. Um, then they had the catching line out uh, towards the end, the driving line out, and they couldn't even execute that. So there was a whole bunch of things that just went wrong for Wales there. And I, I think you walk away sort of saying, well, there's two two teams there, and I think only one of them is going to go probably deep into the tournament, not just because of the draw that we've now got, although we've earned that, but um, just if you can't execute you know, like that, then you're going to be in trouble because you're going to need to at, at some other stage in the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, I thought that was, you know, 
super impressive. We, we touched on the scrums, though. Um, another great performance, Jamie. I mean, this is becoming a habit, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I was, um, you know, for me, I thought Joubert was right on the very precipice of awarding a penalty try um, at two different stages in that sort of 15-minute block. Um, but the Wallabies did just enough, uh, and I think you point this out in your article, of that one scrum over in the close corner, um, that they did just enough to create doubt that actually the Welsh weren't doing their job well enough to earn a penalty try. Um, and that was scrummaging with seven people, and, you know, you can bet that Mario has had them scrummaging with seven at training because they did it really, really effectively. Um, they did it with Simmons and Mum and Douglas on the field at one stage. I mean, just just extraordinary, really. Um, and I think the Welsh at a couple of stages thought that they were going to get the penalty try too. But, uh, yeah, the Aussies, they just really fronted up. And then once we had eight on the field, except for the first 20 minutes, we really did dominate. And I think that's a weapon we can keep going back to time and again. So it's all looking good. It's all well, I mean, good. I, I'd go so far as to say, Jamie, that um – Without our scrum or with our scrum at 20, you know, late 2014 levels or 2013, 2012 levels, we lose that game. You know? Yes, I, 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 mean, I agree with that. Not just because in those 10 minutes that we would have conceded the penalty try, um, but, you know, the fact that in the preceding kind of 50 minutes and, and the last 10, it gave us a, a means of scoring points. You know, I think we, I think at least one of our penalties, uh, one of our nine points was um, from, a, from a scrum penalty. Um, in the first half, and it just, you know, I think we turned them over at one crucial point too in the first half, um, winning a penalty in our own, deep in our own 22 from a Welsh scrum. Um, you know, it, I think it can't be, um, can't be overstated how, how important that's become as, as a weapon for us and, and how comforting it is going forward to know that we've got that in our back pocket, especially in the last 10 minutes where, you know, Kepu and, Kepu and Seo have been good, but... Um, I tell you what, Slipper and Holmes and Polotinow coming off the bench have been a fearsome combination, and yeah. you know just absolutely destroyed England and Wales in those last ten minutes. Um, you know, to the to the point of you know re- really becoming becoming somewhere no matter where you are in the field that you know it's it's um it's a penalty every time. And, and it's yeah. clear. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, and it's clear, isn't it? I mean, I think um, it's two games now where. Moore, um, early on in the game, has uh, opted for a scrum when it, you know, it, it, when it could have been a line-out or a free kick. And it's a very decisive choice that he's making there, isn't it? He's, it's, it's making a statement in itself, trying to, you know, with the confidence that's, that's in that scrum and, like you say, really turning it into a weapon. Well, we've got to be careful. Though. I seem to, I mean, in the first scrum, I think we had a free kick and called a scrum and, and kind of tried to keep it at the back and play silly buggers with it and, and try and force a penalty. And actually... Um, the Welsh halfback um, Williams, whatever his name is, is um, came in and pinched pinched the ball and, and and actually broke away and set up their their early early trial scoring chance. So I think we've got to kind of play the long game a bit more and and not get too carried away with our with our scrum prowess. Um, I, one of the yeah. things that, that struck me in this uh, match as well is that uh, you know while we're talking potential negatives. Um, is that I think Stephen Moore as captain of the team has been is fantastic. So he clearly sets really high standards, um, enforces them, expects them, works to them. I love his level-headedness uh, and the way he's keeping people's feet on the ground. I think him and Czech are making a, a formidable leadership team. The one thing I've got a question mark about, though, is his interaction with referees. Um, I think... Um, 
Zaviera on our site wrote an article about it, um, sort of talking about it. And I must admit, I'd thought in the Bledisloe um, he'd done a great job. But as a refer- you know, as a referee's perspective, actually Moore's tone is can be quite confrontational. And I think there's a number of times in the in the in the match where it seemed pretty clear to me that you know Moore wasn't talking to Joubert as sort of like a like almost like an equal, respectful equal, but actually like a complaining player. Um, is it just me who's been seeing this, Jamie? Are you noticing this uh, um, at all? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I think the tone isn't working. You could see Joubert just really just shutting him out at times. Um, it's not the first time. And I think the pa- the contrast with the way that guys like Warburton uh, or Rob Shaw talk to the referee, or Richie, who very rarely talks to the referee, but that means that when he does, the refs listen, is pretty stark. So, yeah, I think you're spot on there, actually. Yeah, I think it's something um, uh, we need to get hold of. Um, just to, to come back yeah. just quick, just quickly to, those, to Hugh's point about scrummaging, I think, you know, the defensive effort was amazing. The scrum was amazing, and it was still a really close game. And I would hate for us to think that, the victory validated the strategic choices we made. I thought the players did a great job, but I think our inability to, or our refusal to go back on the attack um, really cost us. You know, we decided to play it down their area and that led to that midfield bomb from Bernard Foley and it led to Falau kicking it just completely aimlessly in midfield. Like if we're going to get into these tough, tight games, we have to find a way to still make sure that we dictate how the game is played. We can't get into a game of forcings backs and ruck penalties because there are going to be better teams at that game than us. And um, I just think we shouldn't shouldn't lose sight of the fact that we got the result perhaps despite making some bad strategic choices, not because of them. Well, yeah, and, and you saw that last 10 minutes, I think, when, when we finally broke free and had 15 on the ground and actually – Put together some phases, you know, and you kind of went, "Oh, this is how we, oh, this is how we play." Oh, yeah, good. We finally discovered it, and actually, maybe it was because the Welsh line speed had had a bit of the juice taken out of it and gave us a bit more space. But um, I think we finally got into our patterns there, and and you know, it would have been nice to score a try late just to kind of put the icing on the cake. But um, it, you know, it, it that that was it. We discovered that we discovered the the sort of um, script at the very end there, which was a bit you know nice, but also a bit disappointing as to what could have been. But look, I mean, can I point out that, that I'm going to say it again and haters are going to hate me thinking that I'm hating uh, or something like that. But, um, you know, for me, it's pretty obvious that, you know, th- those two times when the Wallabies have looked back to their best um, towards the end of these two games is when Phipps have been on the field. Now, people will say, oh, but he threw those shockers and he did throw at least one complete shocker when he came on against England. But the pace of the game completely lifts. Suddenly, defences are more jagged. Suddenly, we're over the game line. Foley flattens up. He plays a lot, in my opinion, he plays a lot deeper off Genia. Um, and I think because you're, you're getting that ball that's about one, at least one step slower. Um, and I think that really just holds up the whole um, back line. I'll temper that by saying, look, things are always tougher at the first half of a, of a test match. And maybe that's the strategy, which is, well, look, you know, put Will out there. Maybe he'll find a few holes. He's got a better kicking game than than Phipps, um, and and his passing is probably is more accurate. So maybe um, that keeps the errors out. But I think that's partly why we're just not seeing that attacking flair um, 
you know, that, that we've been wanting. So I'm not sure the answer is necessary to change it, but I'm not surprised when, when you see FIPS come on, suddenly the tempo lifts and suddenly we look a lot more dangerous. Yeah, look, I think that's how he plays, but I also think it's situational. You know, defences are a little bit slower in the last 10 minutes of games, and, and he's benefiting from that. Mm. I think if you reverse the roles, then I think Genny would look good coming on late as well, um, just adding that bit, bit of starch. But, I mean, I, I agree, Phipps is a, a faster passer than Genny, and Genny was a little bit disappointing for mine against Wales. I thought there was a couple of occasions where he just took the wrong option, you know, passing it to blokes isolated on the blind side when... You know, I'm not sure that was that was the go, and that happened two or three times. And and um, yeah, that running game that, that probably hasn't really come to the fore. But I still think he's playing playing pretty decent footy. Mm. But let's talk about um, you, you mentioned it a, a minute ago, Hugh. While we're having a bit of a bitch fest, um, but um, is this our aerial capability now? You know, remember Easy Falau coming onto the the scene against um, the you know British and Irish Lions, and suddenly the aerial attack was out because you know he was turning those that sort of um, you know attack or weapon from the opposition um, on themselves. And in this game, we were absolutely nowhere. No one seemed to be able to get under a ball. Um, it was a shocker. Um, you know, Jamie, what's what's gone wrong? Well, I think. Part of it is what's going on with Falau. I mean, that injury is obviously more serious than they're letting on, and it's clearly um, making it difficult for him to reproduce even good form, let alone Israel Falau form. Um, You know, he's making the odd good break. He made one late on in this match and then couldn't put on the step to give him the the space to make the pass. And so I think that's part of the issue. Um, the other part of the issue is this ridiculous way that the law is being applied with regards to fair contests, and it's specifically to do with Israel Folau. And I think, Matt, you mentioned this on a podcast a couple of months ago where opposition teams will put up the up and under, and then a chaser will come through and will be looking at the ball, but will overrun where the ball's coming down. And in doing so, they're clattering into Folau, who is just taking off into the air. Um, and the referees have consistently ruled that that's a fair contest. It's not a fucking fair contest. Um, if their chaser is deliberately running past the place where the ball's going to land and just nailing into our best player, that's just illegal foul play. And one of these days, Falau's going to jump in the air. One of these guys is going to deliberately run past the, the place where the ball's landing. They're going to hit Falau's legs, and he's going to land really, really badly. And we're all going to look at it and and look straight at World Rugby's direction for the injury. I mean, it's really dangerous. A couple of teams did it in the Rugby Championship, and now it's becoming a regular tactic that other teams are using. Yeah, um, I, it's I, just a matter of time. And Falau was clagging that game too. I mean, you could tell he was really reluctant to jump in the air um, to a point where, you know, those last 10 minutes he was asking to be subbed, but he still managed to make a half break and, and almost set up a try and then almost do it again and, was still our most, you know, dangerous attacking back, you know, even on one leg. So I think it just shows you how crucial he is. Um, he, he is to our team, and apparently he's better than he was last week at this point in time. So I think you'll see him again against Scotland. Well, look, um, just talking about uh, you, you were saying there, Jamie, about some strategic decisions. The one that had me scratching my head was the subbing of Sean McMahon at about the forty-seventh minute mark. Um, the guy had been an absolute beast and was tearing up. 
Um, he, I, I think the one mis- or the couple of things, like bits you could call mistakes, if you like, was that he got caught upright a couple of times. Um, but then so had a lot of other players as well. But um, not only did I think it was an interesting choice in inverted commas to be even be thinking about taking him off, but it was it was like pretty much an absolute clangor in timing because um, unfortunately at that exact moment Pocock had gone down with this calf injury. Um, was it just me who was thinking that this was um, a bit of a, a nuts decision, Jamie? Yeah, it was definitely a head-scratcher at the time. Uh, I can think of two explanations. Either it was premeditated or Checker thought, oh, this is going to be one of those old-fashioned knockout-type rugby games and we need someone like McCalman who's got that sort of that experience and that know-how uh, to come on. And to be completely fair, Ben McCalman had an absolutely cracking 30 minutes off the bench. I mean, he was at the heart of everything we did that was good. Um, but the question does remain, if McMahon was only going to come on for 50 minutes, why was he there in the first place, really? So that was very puzzling to me. And, and you're right. I don't know what's going on with David Pocock's injury, but it, I'm, I'm not happy. You know, it doesn't, doesn't fill me with joy, I must say. It didn't look good. Uh, I think, I think real... the timing with that was unfortunate because I think, you know, when you do these sub things, you fill out cards and it's all taking place in the, in the previous play and it would have all been locked away that McCammon was coming on. Um, before Pocock went down or in the play that Pocock went down. So, you know, the, I think it was, you know, Zubas blows a scrum and, and McMahon comes, um, McCalman comes on and then all of a sudden we find out that Pocock's down and it's probably too late to, to recall. Um, that's where yeah. you probably need a bit of quick thinking from someone on the sideline to say, hang on, hold up for a sec. We'll just see how Pocock is because, um, you know, he could have, I mean, luckily he kind of played on on one leg and was okay, but, but um, you could have had a scenario where he had to get stretched off or something, and then all of a sudden you'd be down your two sevens in the one play, and and there'd be no no way to fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, look, I'm going to ask this question, and I think I know what, what both of your answers are going to be, and you'll probably be scrubbing. Hugh, I'm going to I'm going to let you um, answer first, though. A uh, lot of great performances in this uh, Wallaby team on the. Kane Douglas. <laughs> Did I win? Yeah, you got there first. Yeah. Um, yeah. So your man of the match, Kane Douglas. Um, oh, yeah, look, I, I think it is him. I mean, I saw the tackle stats today. I think he had 16 tackles and no misses um, in 80 minutes. And it really reminded me of actually what he was doing at the Waratahs in 2014, um, where he was standing that sort of two or three off the ruck and being that shooter in defence and coming up and hitting the ball carrier behind the advantage line every time with this unnerving level of accuracy and an unnerving level of physicality. And, and I think... That game and Scotty Farley was outstanding and and Adam Ashley Cooper was great and you know Pocock was good and McCalman was good and Steve Moore was good but um, I've got to say Kane Douglas it's one of the best performances from an Australian lock um, for the past couple of years and it's the first game I think it signals that you know he's reaching his potential for the Wallabies I think he's he's um, shown glimpses for years but never really quite produced it but um, certainly did um, in in a big game and and uh, I think was one of the key one of the key pillars of that defensive effort. Yeah, and Jamie. Yeah, Hugh, I don't like you anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I completely agree with that. I'll I'll talk about Scott Fardy just because you stole Kane Douglas from me. Um, yeah, look, Fardy was very big. I thought, you know, he did his usual thing, useful in the line out, lots of work rate. Um, it was just that style of game with a heavy ruck involvement that was really made for him. I mean, that's his thing. He's he's our tight, loose guy. He's the guy who's going to hit a lot of rucks. And um, 
Force fans got an article up on the site at the moment about our ruck involvements, and unsurprisingly, Scott Fardy is just just way way out there in front. Um, and he came up with a couple of key turnovers as well. So I think he's really he's sort of just such an archetypal six. You know, if you someone who doesn't know much about the game you don't see him doing anything if you're someone who does know something about the game you see him doing everything uh and his his fingerprints were just all over every aspect of what we were doing in defense uh and more than a few things in attack as well so yeah he's just been a huge addition to Australian rugby in the last couple of years and he really fills out that six role in a number of different ways uh, very impressive performance what about you Matt who is yours well, look, uh, yeah, I think you guys got ahead of me in, in, in who I would have ranked, but actually, and um, oh, this might not surprise some people on the site, I mean, I thought Bernard Foley had a cracker. Um, not in attack, I'll give you that. It was a bit of an accurate egg. I think the whole back line struggled a little bit um, under, under pressure, but just the stuff he did in defence. Um, when it was in that seven minutes, um, he was making, you know, tackles on guys like George North out of nowhere, try-saving tackles. He was he stopped the first, um, you know, that, that first try, um, you know, by getting under, I think it was North again. Um, you know, he was absolutely everywhere, and then he's just nailing kicks from all over the place. I mean, what a difference that makes, right? Uh, yeah. Huge difference. So, Huge difference. I mean, yeah, I, I, th- I thought he was just absolutely um, massive around the park, and yeah, last week we saw him in attack, and I think this week we saw him in defence. So um, I think he's kind of shown he's shown those two halves. Um, yeah, they, they, they were quite impressive. And I think I won't I won't harp on this. I'll just mention it because there are no Queenslanders on the podcast. But you talk about the kicking, you talk about the defence. Just is there anyone out there who thinks that if Quade Cooper's in that ten jersey, we play better or we actually win that game? It's just. <laughs> I that's not even that's I not even good in that so. rabbit hole. We could get through the whole podcast without without talking about Wade. Though the comments board now is going to be flooded. Uh, I know. That, if, so. I, if I mention him, we get fifty percent more listens. You that's know, a good a, point. A, that's a good that's a proven point. fact. Yeah. Well, well played. I'm going to mention the Kardashians in a minute as well. You can give it another fifty percent boost. Okay. Well, um, so look, I think that pretty much um, wraps up looking back at that game. Is there anything we've we've left out? You guys. Got well, can I can I posit a general a general kind of theory that I, mm. that I've been thinking about and I might turn this into an article if I've got time and or the means of doing so but um, with with the increased exposure of the World Cup we've seen a, f- a few more articles come in from you know um, uh, the sort of general sports press and it's getting a bit more play and a bit more airtime which is great but um, there was an article today by Andrew Webster in the Sydney Morning Herald in the in the in the, in the um, Fairfax Press and there was I think to match one in the uh, Daily Telegraph, which was on a similar theme. And, and basically the article's about Michael Checker and what he's done to this team. And the article by Webster basically posited that, you know, Checker's turned this team around. And that's the kind of narrative. And Nathan Gray and Ledesma and the scrums and the physical edge and all of this stuff. And going looking back at the Beal-Patston affair and then, the you know, the Robbie Deans and the James O'Connors, three amigos at the time. And, you know, and how this is a complete turnaround, and and I think it's a, it's a bit harsh on um on you and Mackenzie and um you know the, the team before then, and you think we were one try, you know, a Malachi Fekitoa try away from winning that third Bledisloe, and even you look back on Robbie Deans's time, you know, before that 2011 World Cup, that win against the All Blacks in Brisbane, we were on top of the world, and so I, I think you're looking back and, and seeing the last four years as doom and gloom until checkers come along. Well, I think that's a little bit misleading, and I think you know certainly the scrum was better last year than it's ever been, and this is just built on that. Um, 
And so I think painting these guys as the great saviors of rugby is, 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 is just a little bit too far. I love their work and what they've done, but um, I think it probably is a bit, bit harsh on Link and, Link and even Robbie Deans before. Jamie, can you go with that? Are you going to uh, – you, you got an alternative view? No, no, I totally agree with you on this one. I think that's really true. I think, you know, the press loves to trade in easy binaries, um, and I think that does ignore a lot of the stuff that went before. At the same time, it is hard to believe that this is the same team that was playing 15 months ago, just the improvement in specific areas of the way the team plays, specifically scrum, the defence, and just the general team spirit, the way that everyone's moving towards the same goal at the same time is very remarkable. Um, so I really agree with you. The current regime deserves credit, and it's important not to forget that it wasn't all doom and gloom before. Um, just a quick note about Robbie Deans, actually. He's actually working as one of the sighting commissioners over in the World Cup. Um, I really? noticed in the in the fine that. print the other day. Yeah. Um, oh, well, that I explains just, it. Yes. We keep being pulled up by a New Zealand sighting commissioner. This yeah, is exactly. All, it, all comes, it all makes sense now. <laughs> it does. It does. Well, I was just thinking about it. I'm sure we'll talk about this in a second, but there will probably be a couple of sightings uh, through this week. One for sure for Sean O'Brien and maybe one for David Pocock for a super soft uh, you know, getting well, it looks out like of- it looks like Pocock's gotten off. Well, it look it, apparently the Australian team have said that the the window for sighting has elapsed now. So I think Pocock's well, okay. Well, where I was going with that is I'm not surprised about that because Robbie loves David Pocock. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was his favourite. So the other thing is, thanks, is, is, is the other thing is notice is uh, no sightings for James O'Connor either. So there you go, another <laughs> Dean's favourite to escape. But let's yeah, talk but- about that Sean O'Brien one though. Um, it doesn't look good, does it? No, look, I mean, I, I have an Irish mate, um, he's very rugby savvy, and he was trying to convince me that he should only get a week for that um, because, you know, he was being held back and stuff. The video doesn't make that very clear at all. The video just shows him sucker punching a six foot eight guy in the solar plexus. And, you know, this is very unlike what happened with Hooper against England, where he was trying to execute a rugby move and it went badly and he copped a week. I think in any I think he probably will only get a week. I think in any other situation he should get a month. Multiple weeks banned. Like there's just no place in the game for something like oh, that. Oh really? I'm with I'm yeah. with your mate, I gotta say, Jamie. I think I mean I have seen it a couple of times and I might not have studied it as forensically as others have, but oh you know, it's a whack in the guts. It didn't look really look like it was particularly dangerous to to, to the French bloke who kind of milked it a little bit, I think. And it wasn't like he gave him the full wind-up and the full swing in the, in the back of the head or something. I mean, well, it was a, no, no, that's, a bit of a tap in, the, in, tap in the guts, wasn't it? The only thing that's, that I think is saving him is it wasn't in the head, and that's because he's about six inches shorter than the guy he hit. But the reality is if that had been <laughs> seen on the big screen, a, a punt, like a clear punch um, by the book is a red card, and it happened in the first minute which means Ireland probably yeah. would have lost that game. Um, and I think, yeah, I think cool. he'll, he, there's a chance he gets the book thrown at him because this is the, this is the clean World Cup. We've seen ridiculous um, decisions in this World Cup about um, discipline, you know, to Alangi last week. And I, I just think there's no place for it in the game. There really isn't. It's not rugby. It's something else. I think he gets a week maybe too if, he's, if, if they're harsh on it. But... Um... No, nah, look, uh, yeah, look, I think anything around the head and he probably is in real trouble there, well, but um, well, the location's I, kind of saved him. Well, can I add another dimension to that, which is the rumour that was during the rounds on Twitter um, this afternoon was that um, Pape had um, enforced a hapawate 
on um, Sean O'Brien uh, prior to that. But you saying that that was in the first minute of the game kind of makes me wonder where he did it, whether it was... Um, Oh, it was pre-game. It was pre-game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was in the tunnel. You know where the teams line up next to each other. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They don't. They don't. The they don't call it the tunnel for now. <laughs> um, um, should we talk about the France Island game? Yes. So I understand both of you guys have actually seen the full thing. I've just seen. Um, I've just, is someone getting biscuits there? I, I've just seen um, the uh, the tries. So, you know, Jamie, Hugh, have at it. What happened? Important match for us, obviously. Yeah, look, I mean, the best, most charitable way to describe this game was it was Six Nations at the World Cup. Um, it looked completely indistinguishable from 100 Six Nations matches. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I don't think either team showed much that will really worry us. Um, France were completely directionless, didn't have any shape whatsoever. Um, the good part of that is that the New Zealand staff will have absolutely nothing to go on. They'll have no idea what France is going to do next week because France didn't show them anything this week to let them actually develop a game plan to counter it. Um, so that's good uh, because we like to see New Zealand struggle. As for Ireland, I think France made them look good and Ireland just had this tactic of relentlessly turning the ball back on the inside to their static pods. Um, whenever someone had the choice to either pass it wide or pass it back to the ruck, they usually went to the ruck and no team Australia plays on a regular basis plays like that at all. It's just that Irish pack is very effective in the ruck, in the tight, loose, but they're not super, super mobile. And um, on top of that, Ireland suffered just a horrendous injury cost as well. Um, Peter Omani is out of the tournament. He's their six. He's their unsung hero who does a lot of the farty work. Uh, Paul O'Connell, who provides all their leadership, um, I think he suffered a really serious hamstring injury. He's out of the tournament. Um, I'm forgetting someone here. Jonathan Sexton redid his adductor, which is is a recurring injury for him. You know, there are rumours he might be back sometime in the tournament, but it doesn't look good. You know, the groin is one of those muscles you need to use all the time. Um, so really it came at a very, very heavy cost for the Irish and uh I just, I'm not too, I think the Argentines will really fancy their chances against them this week. Uh, Hugh, what do you reckon? Yeah, I agree. Very Six Nations style of game. I mean, both teams played so narrow, you know, really clustered in that middle middle channel of the field. And whenever they got space on the outside, and, and it was so often that you see the French with a two or three man overlap or the Irish, and they just were so incapable of using it. They, they, they you know, would passes would go behind the man or someone would take the tackle when they had blokes unmarked outside. Um, it, it just, you know, I felt like if 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 we decide to use the full length of the field, um, we could cut them to shreds. And it, it, it was polished from Ireland in the end that they came over in that last twenty minutes. And I thought, considering they lost those three players, it was a pretty admirable effort to have subs in key positions um, come on and deliver the victory. Um, and their forward pack, when they get momentum up, are, are hard to stop. Um, I think it's going to be big on you know if we do end up playing them. David Pocock is going to have a huge role to play in slowing that ball because once and because their slow ball options, as Jamie said, were very um, very limited. Um, and once they got quick ball and they got a bit of a roll on it, it it, um, it all started flowing for them. But um, and the French had a chance too. I mean, it was fourteen nine with about ten minutes to go. Yeah, it was and, 10 um, you know, there was a kind of fifty fifty decision by Owens in front of the sticks 
um, the Irish kind of post where Sean O'Brien knocked the ball out of a Frenchman's hands, probably offside, but uh, he uh, blew it up as a knock-on. And I think, you know, you blow a penalty there and they're within a couple of points and all of a sudden anything can happen. Um, but um, I think the All Blacks will be shit-scared because the French are just not doing much so far and are ready for a breakout game. Mm. Um, and the Irish and Argies could just be one of the best quarters, I think, because um, uh, both sides are pretty evenly matched. Well, it's going to be New Zealand-France at the Millennium Stadium, and all we need now is for it to be Wayne Barnes, and, <laughs> and it's a Nightmare on Elm Street for, for the New Zealanders. Um, look, yeah, I, I've, I've heard they're calling up Luke McAllister as well from Toulouse. Uh, just bring back that 2007 spirit, you know. <laughs> but look, yeah, I, I only saw the tries from the, the Ireland match, but um, and yeah, it was amazing. It was just, you know, everything was inside ball. Um, it seemed to be pick and go sort of pod type stuff. Um, but it didn't kind of surprise me. I think um, uh, Bob Dwyer on the site did an article before the World Cup saying, look, they've got no three quarters line apart from Rob Carney. Um, and I think he managed to score today, but um, you know he, he couldn't see them doing anything you know vaguely imaginative. So uh, it sounds like they're going to struggle. And if they've lost a couple of those key guys out of the forward pack, then geez, that is a really big blow for them. Um, and, and yeah, to, and I mean, I think Argentina have really been one of the slow builders, and a couple of their performances this cup have been really very impressive. And obviously, we've seen them in the rugby championship and know that they've been producing fairly regularly. But without O'Connell with O'Brien probably suspended, without Omani and maybe without Sexton, I just, I can't see them doing it at all, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Oh, I think, well, and I think um, Argentina are going to be a handful. I don't know if you guys, I just saw, again, I saw the tries of them against Namibia. I guess I didn't realise it's Namibia, but geez, they look sharp. Um, just some really nice handling from Argentina. Um, uh, yeah, they, they definitely looked um, pretty razor sharp, actually. Um, alrighty, well, so look, the quarters, they're, they're laid out in front of us now. Uh, it starts with South Africa-Wales, um, and that's uh, Twickenham uh, in London on Saturday, um, 4 o'clock their time. Who's got, the, uh, who's got the Aussie time there, Hugh? Do you know, happen to know off the top of your head what that is? Oh, I, uh, I think 4 o'clock, I think we're talking about um, midnight, around midnight, uh, maybe even a little bit um, after that, but I'm not sure. Hang on, I've got this. I think it's about 1.30, maybe. Okay. Um, and then we've got, I think it's 2 a.m. Yeah, 4 p.m. is 2 a.m. our time. Um, and then we've got New Zealand, France, um, which kicks off um, 8 o'clock uh, UK time. And so what's that going to be? That's 6 a.m. a.m. our time um, on Sunday morning. And that will be a cracker to watch, hopefully. Um, and then, uh, so, so look, let's talk about those two tips, guys. Um, South Africa, Wales. Uh, what, what are you going to say to that one, Hugh? Oh, I'd love to see the Welsh take the take the fight up to them. And I think it will be close again. I mean, I just think that Wales might have done their dash at this World Cup, unfortunately. That that England game looked like a grand final. And probably that, um, you know, the Australia game, if they win that, then you'd say they've got a bit of a bit of life in them. But I think that loss is a bit of a heartbreaker for them. And, and they're still a decent side. I mean, I, I really think they'll push South Africa close. And it wouldn't surprise me to turn, see them turn them over. But... Um, I think South Africa just building in nicely and they've kept that side together and, and guys like Dejaga and, and Etzebeth coming into form and, and that back line looking good too. I mean, I, I think they probably will just have a little bit too much firepower. Jamie? Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, South Africa have actually looked pretty good since that Japan fiasco and um, Dejaga, I think, 
will get the nod this week. I think Matfield will be dropped, um, which is good for them, I think, overall. And I just think Wales' scrum has looked really bad against Fiji, England and Australia. And I think between them all and the scrum, South Africa will be able to keep the points churning. And I think they'll win by uh, maybe 10 to 15. Okay. Well, look, I mean, I've got to go with that as well, even though Wales has been um, one hell of a stern test for us. And obviously they, they also uh, beat England. Yeah, it's like you say, I mean, the injuries that they've kind of sustained as they've gone through, I kind of feel like they've probably peaked. Um, so you, you get the feeling for this Wales team that their chance was 2011. You know, in yeah. that, France, in that semi, in that team with Shane Williams, and, and that was their peak. And this is just kind of—I feel like they're just a little bit short this time. Mm. They're missing, and they're missing a, a few gears. I think it's—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's, 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 it's quite a one-way street with them. Uh, and then, well, New Zealand, France. Uh, look, let me see if I can summarise for this for everybody, and you guys disagree with me or not. All the heads got to say New Zealand. Um, you would think they're going to. Um, probably do this quite comfortably they haven't had to step out of first gear really they've just been holding everything back uh france uh they've done nothing for the last few years have they um they're all over the place but then the heart says who knows in this fixture um anyone disagree with that no i, I think look I, I think france's weakness is 10 michelak's passed it michelak was passed it in 2011 i mean he's passed it now he, 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 but I, I looking at that game against the Irish, they've got a game in them, France. I mean, they have. If, if it all comes together, a few, you know, a try, an early try, a charge down, a you know, a lucky take from an up and under or something, mm. get a bit of get a bit of um, wind behind them, and, and and you just never know. Mm. Jamie, yeah, I I really want France to win this. Um, <laughs> they they looked really bad on the weekend. Their forwards are super immobile. You know that competition they're playing is not producing the types of players they need to compete at this level in the depth that, that it should, you know, given it's such a big country with so many teams. But, you know, as you say, anything can happen. And, uh, you know, I think New Zealand are, are ripe for an upset. You know, they they were very lucky, I thought, to win four years ago in the final of the World Cup. The, you know, I've watched it a couple of times since then, and I'm convinced that the refereeing gave them a bit of a leg up. Um, and I think... Yeah, let's let's all hope France can do the do the business. Mm. Well, look, I mean, I, I saw a pundit on TV just tonight saying that apparently the French see the Six Nations as something that just gets in the way of top fourteen, um, and that actually they just use it as sort of like a testing ground for getting ready to beat New Zealand in each World Cup. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I, I quite like that as well. So, you know, let, let's hope that works. But um, yeah, Sunday morning six a.m. that'll be that'll be definitely worth. Um, getting up and setting the alarm for. Um, and then, so if this is now Monday morning our time, uh, which is uh, a, a bit of a disaster. Um, but, uh, well, first off is Ireland-Argentina. I think that's probably got to be about 11 o'clock um, our time on, on the Sunday night, is it? is it? Is that early enough, maybe? Yeah, I think so. I think that's it. Um, so, yeah, Ireland-Argentina. Um, what I'm reading from you guys is you think that Ireland are... On, on the wobble here and that might maybe Argentina can do this Jamie yeah I think Argentina will certainly not certainly Argentina will really fancy their chances here and I think they should be good to win by about uh, 10 I'd say oh gosh that's confident oh see I'm not as bullish as, as you Jamie I think the Irish will get this I think that that um unlike the Welsh I think this is this is their time this team and I I feel like I, I, the way Sexton's going to be fit so that that'll be a big um 
determinant. Um, is that a word, determinant? De- de- Determining factor? Determinant. I'll stick with determinant. Uh, yeah. Word or not, it sounds pretty nice. Determinator. Um, yeah. Um, I'll... I'll I, I, th- I think the Irish will win this by, by by four or five. I think they've just got a little bit too much class and, and um, their subs that came off the bench did, did the job for them um, against France pretty well. So I'll back them to um, to keep the ball rolling. I think Ireland are going to grind this into a horrible shit fest. Um, <laughs> if, 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 there's a, if there's a sprinkling of, of, of mist even, um, then they'll use that to their advantage. I think, uh, I'm assuming if Sexton's there, then they'll, they'll edge that over. If they don't have Sexton, then I really don't know what they're going to do. Um, all right, let's finish off Australia, Scotland. Um, you know, coming up, I think we're talking about maybe having uh, one more podcast this week. It seemed to work last week. So you know what? I'm going to hold this one back. Going to wait till we see the teams um, and how it's all set up, and then we'll put in another podcast uh, towards the end of the week. Um, so that's about it, I think, fellas. Anything else we needed to touch on? Sounds like someone's left. No, I'm here. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Yeah. Um, so, um, yep, that's it. So, fantastic win for Australia. Um, it's great to be on the right side of the the draw. I, you know, it's, isn't it great? Isn't it great? I mean, I, I was worried about this pool from mm-hmm. from months away. I had this sort of was waking up in cold sweats, thinking we'd miss the quarters completely. And, and you know, to to think that we've we've done it and we've done it playing pretty good footy. I mean, it, it's a it's you know, regardless of what happens from here on in, it's a it's a pretty good achievement. And and you don't have to think back very far to think what it would have been like otherwise, because that's exactly what happened four years ago. We lost to Ireland and then had South Africa and New Zealand uh, in front of us for the quarters and semi. So it's, it's exactly. it, you know, the nightmare, you don't even need to conjure it up. We've already been through it. We've already lived through it. Uh, and looking at Scotland and then maybe Ireland or Argentina looks a lot better. Really does, doesn't it? It does. Right. Well, look, we'll, we'll, we'll send off the podcast on that thought. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And uh, keep an eye out for the later podcast this week. I'll see you then. Seven left. No hand. Okay.